It's tonight, Philippians chapter 3. We'll read a verse or two together. Once you're back to your seat, you may be seated. Half of you are sitting, half of you are standing. Let's go ahead and have it. We'll just sit down. That'd be good. Philippians chapter 3 uh, tonight. And uh, we're going to continue our study in this uh, particular book. Paul was writing from prison when he wrote to the church at Philippi. He wrote several things. You know, when you're a local church and you read these letters that were written to churches, it just reminds you how prevalent it is for us, not just for them, but for us. And Paul was writing to the church at Philippi and again, telling them some things. And tonight, we want to pick it up in Philippians chapter 3 and pick it up in verse number 17. And uh, we'll read down uh, to the end of the chapter, verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We're going to walk through these verses again, but I just, again, get them in our mind tonight. Let me go ahead and point you to where we're going in the verse number 18. The last phrase, it says, the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then the word whose, and the word who is mentioned in verse 19, that tells us four things about those enemies that Paul referred to of the cross of Christ. We're going to look at those tonight together. Our Father, again, we stop and say we need your help tonight. May we not just meet out of a formality. Father, help us to meet with you. And Lord, speak to us. You promised that if we drew nigh, drew nigh to you, you'd draw nigh to us. And Lord, may we be that in both uh, our heart as well as in our mouth. Lord, what we say, we need you. And uh, Lord, again, would you please meet with us tonight? We love you. Thank you again for those that made it tonight out. Thank you again for the weather you've given us. And uh, Lord, again, give safety as we travel home. Now, Lord, tonight, may we not think of anything else. Uh, whether it's tomorrow or tonight, maybe not think of anything but you tonight. Speak to us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. In Philippians chapter 3, when Paul was writing here, I really believe that he was talking to the church and he was telling them there's two types of people in the church. There's the people who are walking right and people who are not walking right. And church, I mean, those, that has not changed in churches. There are people who are walking the right, the right walk in church and there's people who are not walking the right walk in church. I don't think Paul's talking about people who are outside the church. And I know that we always meet people who claim to be Christians, but uh, they don't go to church or they do go to church. They don't live like the Bible teaches as far as being Christ-like. So Paul, when he writes this, he says, now listen, there are people, and he's not referring to enemies of the cross as those who are lost that were against Christ. Because I want to tell you something, if you're lost, you're naturally against Christ because the Bible says you're a child of the devil until you become a believer, all right? So Paul's not talking about people who are lost. He's saying there are people that are there that are not walking like a Christian should be walking. They have become the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I want to just point out some things as far as the language that's used in, in this thing here. I want you to notice, first of all, that he used the language and he, uh, he used the word brethren. I've been to a couple different churches when preaching out. And my tendency of preaching out is the same thing I preach here. I call you church family. And it's not unusual for me to do that when I'm out, and invariably somebody will come up to me and say, well, we really like it that you call the people church family. I, to me, you're not an audience, all right? Uh, I know there's, there's different ways of interacting, but we're a family, and we're a church family, and it's because we're believers in Christ. And Paul uses that same type of terminology when he says brethren. He says it in verse number one. He says it in verse number 13. He says it again, I think, in verse number 17 here. And he uses that connection, the connection. What's the connection? That we're saved. We're believers, all right? So let's begin. Look at the Bible in verse number 17. We'll pick it up here. 
He says, brethren, be followers together of me. Now, Paul had no apprehension. And we understand our, our Bible is given to us by God under the inspiration of God. God used the personality of the person when he wrote the scriptures, all right, when the scriptures were written. These are not man's word, they're God's word. But Paul, under the inspiration of God, always made reference to, hey, listen, you need to follow me as I follow Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1, he says exactly that. Be followers of me as I follow Christ. And church family, can I just remind us that we do not believe in man worship. We do not believe in dictatorship. We do not believe that the preacher or the pastor, you know, what he says is ex-cathedral. We believe that we've got a book and we've got the priesthood of the believer. We've got direct access to God. All right. We don't have to go through a man to get to God. We go directly to God. But the way God set things up when it comes to a church, the offices, one of those offices being the preacher and the pastor, is God set the pastor up with qualifications in order to be an example to the flock. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 3, he said, Feed the flock of God, which he hath made you to be the overseer. And he says the word example, example, E-N. He says, I want you to be an example to the flock. That word means dimold. It means stamp. It means statue. It means something, a model, something that somebody can replicate. Now, I want to tell you, uh, if you are... If you ever, God allows you to become a pastor. It's a humbling thing to be a pastor, but it's also a very uh, careful thing. What I mean by that, remember in James 3, verse number 1, he said, Be not ye many masters, for ye, ye hold the greater condemnation. The word master there means teacher. And he's saying, listen, whenever you're in front of people and you're influencing people, you hold a greater con condemnation. In other words, God holds you accountable as far as what you say and do. There are some preachers that maybe rub people wrong in this sense, but we can't get away from the scriptures in this idea of the pastor supposed to be an example to the flock in the sense that the flock could pour their lives into that dye mold and be a replica, not of the pastor, but as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul said this several times in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1, which I quoted, or Philippians chapter 4, verse number 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 4, verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. So again, three or four or five times, Paul uses this uh, uh, statement of, follow me. I know I'm going the right direction. Now just, you need to follow that same direction. Now look what he says next though. In verse number 17, brethren, be ye followers together of me and mark them which walk so. Now I'm going to stop just again so that you understand what he's saying here. What Paul was saying is there are people in the church that are walking the same way I'm walking. Mark those people. They're a good example. Those are the kind of people you ought to be following. Now let's read the whole verse again to understand what he says here. Brethren, be ye followers together of me and mark them which, which walk so as ye have us for an, an example, all right? So Paul was saying, listen, I'm an example. You need to follow my example, but you also have people at the church at Philippi who are also an example. Church family, heritage is full of spiritual believers. It's full of carnal, not full, hopefully. It's got carnal believers. It's got baby believers. And it has um, people who are not saved, the natural, all right? And that's all in 1 Corinthians, all right? The spiritual man, the carnal man, the... Uh, the babe in Christ, and then, of course, the natural man, the person who's not saved yet. You're going to have congregations like that. That's why Jesus, with his 12 disciples, still had a Judas. Are you with me so far? Amen. But what Paul was trying to say is there are spiritual people in that congregation. You ought to mark them. In other words, that family over there, they're raising their children right. 
Uh, that, that guy over there, he's concerned about the lost and he's trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that guy over there, he's constantly doing things behind the scenes to help out at the church and to serve. Now, church family, all of us have our strengths and weaknesses and more than that, all of us have our own particular spiritual gifts. He says, mark that person, pay attention to what they're doing and follow that example. God's given us different people in our life to follow. So with that statement, Paul says, but I've got somebody else I want to tell you about. Not only the person who's walking right, but I want to talk to you about the person who's walking wrong. All right, now look what he says next. In verse number 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, church, I, mean, I see four specific things that are mentioned in verse number 18 uh, about this group of people that Paul's talking about. He says, first of all, there's many of them. Now, we would all like to believe that we're all good Christians, but the truth of the matter is, we're all Christians who have a flesh that we're dealing with, and sometimes we're, we're on, living on the right side of things, and sometimes we're not living on the right side of things. There's sometimes that we've got the victory in our Christian life, and we're following our commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and there's other times we're not following every command like we're supposed to. Paul said, now again, I don't know how big the church was at Philippi, but he used the word many. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no angels here tonight. I mean, as far as you sitting in the pew. There's no angels. There's no, nobody that's already got their glorified body. There's nobody that can, has re reached that spiritual utopia that we don't, aren't tempted with sin and do things that are wrong. Paul said, can I just tell you that there are many that are not walking the right way. You know, I think sometimes Christians get tripped up because, well, they go to heritage. Well, uh, they, they've been there a long time. Or, you know, they're, they're a Sunday school teacher. Listen, you have to be careful that you do not use man as your standard, use God as your standard. Amen. <laughs> my children sometimes will say that. Well, so-and-so gets to do that. I just remind them, well, you're not in so-and-so's family. You're in my family. And I don't have to defend what another church member does because truthfully, those are the children God gave me. And it doesn't matter if it's a higher standard, lower standard, or if it's a bad standard. It, that, we don't talk about, I don't deal with those issues in our home. I just tell them, listen, God put you in our family and we're not doing that. Can I just tell you that we have to be careful that we don't get into a church setting like this and we get comfortable with doing things we know we shouldn't be doing just because somebody else is doing them. Because Paul said there are many like that. There are many that are not following the path or walking, I should say walking as he used the term, walking the walk like they should. All right, so he used the word many. He uses something else here that's interesting. He says, I, whom I have told you often. Now, uh, <laughs> I mean, Apostle Paul didn't have a hard time. He didn't have a problem naming names. Now, I know uh, because of this, the era that we're living in, we always have to be politically correct. All righty? Well, he shouldn't have said that. Or that was awful offensive. Or, you know, that wasn't very nice. Okay? Do, do we not have a hard time when we go home from a message or a sermon and critiquing the message? Now, listen to me, church family. It's one thing to critique, to critique whether or not something was Bible-based. It's another thing to be critical. You know, that we use that word critique. And I want to tell you, you ought to be careful as far, especially around your children. You know, if something happens at school with one of the teachers and our kids start to slander the teacher, the first thing out of my wife and I, don't say that. We're not going to talk about the teacher here. You know, can I just tell you that when you are in the car on your way home and you're criticizing the pastor on the way home, you are solidifying in your child's mind that the pastor who is the office, not the person, and who is supposed to be the friend of your child... Ten years from now, five years from now, you're going to wish the pastor had an influence on your child's life to point them in the right direction when they start to go wrong. But you've spent years of on the way home criticizing the messenger and sometimes the message. And so your children, why do I need church? My mom and dad, all they could do is criticize it. 
So again, we've got to be careful in this area here. But Apostle Paul says, I'm just trying to tell you, I warned you often that there are certain people that are not walking the right walk. Church, I mean, we only, as your pastor, I only have to answer for the Heritage Baptist Church, okay? Listen, there are other churches doing things that to me are pretty crazy and they're independent Baptist churches, but I'm not the pastor of that church. I'm the pastor of this church. But can I tell you that if, it, uh, if things needed to be named, hopefully the Lord is the Lord lead, I would just go ahead and use their names. But can I just tell you that Apostle Paul, he didn't have a problem with saying, hey, listen, I've told you about this often. This was not just a one-time deal. That person that's, that's, that's inside the church and they're not doing right, I told you about them. In fact, we have that in 1 Corinthians 5 when he says, listen, I've already delivered that guy over to Satan. You should have done the same thing. Paul not only uses the word often, look at the next word he uses. And again, I think this is where sometimes we miss, the, we miss it. And that's this idea of concern. Look at verse 18 again. For many walk of whom I've told you often and I'll tell you even weeping. You know, we've, I've said it before and you know it's the truth. That sometimes when a person falls, we as Christians, instead of helping something up, we're, we're more than, uh, we, we're, we're, we are like everybody else. We want to kick the person while they're down. Um, to me, it reminds me of growing up, we used to have chickens. And dad, he had numerous chickens inside this huge unit. Um, it, was, it was a pretty good sized unit and he used it for a chicken coop. And he, I don't know how many chickens dad had, but he had a lot of them. And we had to go in there and get the eggs. And, you know, what's unique about chickens, and it was a, it was a, it's, it's like it was in their nature, that if a chicken got hurt, and especially if one of them was bleeding, all the chickens pecked that one chicken until the chicken died. It was just the way it is. In fact, if we found a chicken that, got, that was hurt and was bleeding, we got that chicken out of the chicken coop because he would not live inside there because all the other chickens would attack him. And, you know, I want to tell you, we got, an, we got a lot of Baptist chickens that way. All right? In other words, somebody is hurting spiritually and all we, all we can do is pass it on and be a tailbearer and be critical and negative instead of trying to encourage them, pray for them and help them. That, that, we do what, what chickens do. It's, a, it's almost like it's natural. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. It's too bad. Let me kick you. All right. And so again, what was Paul, Paul saying? He said, I'm not here to hurt the person who's not walking right. I tell you weeping. I, he had a concern because of the way they were living and what they were doing. And then he makes this final statement. Here's the message tonight. He says, now listen, I've told you often about these people. I've weeped over these people. Unfortunately, it's many. It's not just a few. He says they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, the outline's there in the very next verse. And I want to just quickly walk through those four things that Apostle Paul mentions. And it's very, very clear because he starts with the word whose. And then, of course, the last one, the word who. But in verse 19, here's what he says. In verse 18, these are the enemies of the cross, colon, verse number 19, whose end is destruction. Now, again, there's four of them there, but I want to talk about these four things as far as those that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, let me stress one more time before I run through these four things tonight with you, is to understand that the enemies of the cross of Christ is a believer who has turned their back on God. It's a believer who's, who doesn't, he's not walking the right path, who's not living the right, the right life. And so this is the type of person that Paul's referring to, to the church at Philippi. He says, I just want to remind you that no matter how good it seems and how well things seem to be going for them. He says, that's, that's not the end of things. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 17 and 18. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Now think about that. Let not thine heart envy sinners. All right, that could be saved or lost. But let, he says, why? For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. In other words, the person who's doing right, your expectation of what God's going to do for you and your family, it's not going to be cut off. But the end of that person, there's an end to the sinner. And so what is that? What's the end? Well, Paul said the end uh, is going to be destruction. You know, 
we look at people's life and we think to themselves, well, they seem to be happy and they seem to have money. Our timetable is a whole lot different than God's timetable. And I'll be honest with you, I don't understand it. I look at people's life and I think to themselves, they turn their back on God, they're not doing right. Why does God allow them to even live? Okay, how many's glad I'm not God, all righty? But just remember, when you look in the scripture, God's timetable was different. Think about it. Saul does wrong, and he was able to finish out being king while David ran as a fugitive. Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias did wrong, he drops dead. There's no way of telling what God was doing and what Ahab, to me, was one of the worst kings that there ever was. He's the one that stole Naboth's vineyard. He's the one that married Jezebel. Why in the world did God let Ahab continue to live? He was a king for 20-some years, and I think to myself, this guy was a horrible king. But then you get Gehazi, who's the servant of, of, of Elisha, and he goes and all he does was take a little money on a, a garment. He comes back and God says, okay, you're going to have uh, leprosy until you die and so will all of your seed after you. There's no way for us to comprehend God because we're not God. God does whatever he wants, but understand this one thing, but surely there is an end. Amen. There surely there is an end. You know, we see people that, that grow up in church and sometimes they get out of sorts with God and they want to laugh off their Christianity. Ha, ha, ha. They want to act like it's not a big deal and it seemingly they've got money and they've got job. Just remember this one thing. The enemies of the cross, there's always an end. And can I tell you what the end is? Destruction. Destruction. Powers 122, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity and the scorn of delight and their scorning and fools hate knowledge? He says, how long? Because there's surely an end. Hebrews 14, 9, fools make a mock at sin. I'm just trying to tell you tonight that God says, listen, when you do wrong and you're presumptuous in that area, God says there's an end and that end is destruction. Look at the second thing he mentions about the enemies of the cross. Not only does he say that it's their end is destruction, look at again verse 19, whose God is their belly. Now, church, I mean, Apostle Paul would use analogies when he would make statements oftentimes. And the analogy there is not necessarily they were all gluttons, okay? The idea of using their God is their belly is the idea of fleshly gratification. In other words, things that we enjoy, all right? Is there anybody in here that likes to eat? Say amen. All right. You do, don't worry. All right, you like to eat. We like to eat not just sometimes for, for nourishment, all right? Um, one of the, a good verse to memorize if you're trying to lose weight is Ecclesiastes. He says that, that, that kings eat uh, uh, that we're not supposed to eat for drunkenness. I wish I could quote the verse for you, but uh, that we don't eat for drunkenness. And so, what, in other words, the word drunkenness means intoxication. In other words, sometimes we eat not because like a, a drunk would drink alcohol. Sometimes we eat the same way for that appetite's sake. All right? And so what does Paul say here? Paul says that this person that's the enemy of the cross of Christ, he's living for fleshly gratification. His God is his belly. What he wants, that's what he gets. All right, that's what he does. Turn over to Galatians 5. We're not very far from that. Let's just read a couple verses here. Galatians chapter number 5. I'll read verse 16. While you're turning to verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, again, their God is their belly. For their flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not of the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh, their God is their belly. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Church family, when he says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, the word manifest it means to make known. So he goes through a list of things that is the lust of our flesh, fleshly gratification, the things that I want to do that I know I shouldn't be doing. You know what Paul says is an enemy of the cross? A person who does what his flesh wants and not what the spirit wants. All right. So he says, first of all, the first description of this enemy of the cross, hey, there ends destruction. He says, second of all, their God is their belly. The third thing he says in, in verse number 19, if you go back to Philippians 3, he says, and whose, glo whose glory is in their shame. Now think about what Paul's saying here. The things that sh they should be ashamed about, they glory in. If you ever find a backslidden Christian that turns their back on God, they are always bragging about the bad that they are doing. Uh, I know, you're not supposed to go to the, uh, to the theaters, but man, I, I, I'm out of school now, so I can go to the They're always bragging about what they shouldn't be doing. We've had people that have uh, graduated from school and, uh, uh, years ago, then they got, got out of school, and they'd go to other families, and they would go to a family dining uh, area. And I'm not, not everybody's got that conviction to stay away from open alcohol. And so they went with a church family. And with that church family, they ordered, ordered alcohol. They, they, what, what they're doing, they're glorying in their shame. You know what presumptuous sin is? Presumptuous sin is that proud, arrogant boldness of I'm going to do wrong, and I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. You know what? That's an enemy of the cross. I want to tell you something. You can have a lot of people that's your enemy, but I wouldn't have God as your enemy. Amen. Young person, listen to me tonight. This is not about going against your parents' rules, the pastor's rules, the church rules, or the, or the rules that you wrote. It's more than that. When you get sideways, you're not sideways with the church. You're sideways with God. You don't want him as your enemy. The, this enemy of the cross is the person who glories in their shame, their presumptuous sin. They could care of what other people know, Proverbs 10.23. It is as sport to a fool to do mischief. You know, it's like, it's like a person practicing for a basketball game or a volleyball game. It's a sport to them. I want to see how much I can do and how good I can be at what I'm doing is wrong. He says those are the enemies of the cross. They, they glory in what they should be ashamed about. Look at the last thing he says here about the enemies of the cross. In verse number 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, I want to tell you, this one here is so easy to get wrapped up with, but when you get sideways with God, it's like it just opens up a whole new avenue. You're talking about minding earthly things. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. All right? So we're living in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. Are you with me so far? Amen. In other words, Yes, we're going to work in this world, and yes, we're going to live in this world, and yes, we're going to shop in this world. But God says, I don't want you to be so connected to the world that you become worldly. You're supposed to be salt and light. You can't be salt and light and be worldly at the same time. It's impossible. So he says, the enemy of the cross, the person who's turned their back on me, the person who's inside the church, who's living their own life uh, for themselves and not for me. I want to tell you what another, uh, if I can say, uh, characteristic of this person is they mind earthly things. I want you to see it with your eyes if you don't mind. Turn over to Colossians since these books are close together. Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. Verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, that means if you're saved, seek those things which are where? Above, Above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now I want you to read verse 2 out loud with me. Ready? Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Why? Verse 4, when Christ who's our life. Just remember, Christ is our life, not just for salvation, it's what we live for. And you know, if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in the things of this world. Listen to me tonight. You've got to be careful that you do not allow te television and internet and social media and all these other avenues that affect our eyes and our ears to take your mind so that you're dwelling on earthly things instead of dwelling on spiritual things. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because I'm supposed to be thinking about spiritual things, not, not, not earthly things. Amen. How many times have you sat in a church service and while you're sitting in the church service and the pastor is preaching, you're thinking about something else? Sometimes it's worldly, but sometimes it's just, it's just earthly. Instead of during your, in your prayer time, you're trying to talk to the Lord and you're trying, to, you're trying to keep that prayer list in front of you so you can keep your mind going. But sometimes even while you're praying, all of a sudden you're thinking about your job or something that has nothing to do with spiritualness. It's just that your mind is on earthly things. Just really understand that you're like a computer. The more that you put in, that's what's going to come out. You don't buy a computer from the store without already having programs installed on it already. You can only get out of a computer what's installed inside of a computer. Can I just tell you the same thing as a Christ, in our Christianity? What you put in is what's going to come out. Romans chapter number 8, that we're supposed to mind spiritual things so that we become spiritual and not mind carnal things so that we don't become carnal. Listen to me. It's not just a matter of I'm going to spend some relaxation time and I'm just going to watch this or I'm going to listen to this or I'm going to do this. It's a matter of what am I putting in that's either going to cause me to be earthly, worldly, or spiritual, heavenly. Paul says this enemy of, a of the cross is a person who uh, is consuming himself with the world. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. That's the enemy of the cross, the person who is consumed with that which is uh, earthly, which is, is, which is worldly. Now, church, I mean, go back to Philippians. I want to show you these last two verses, and we'll close this chapter out. Paul talks about the enemy of the cross, and he says, now listen, what's going to help you not be like that is in verse 20 and 21, all right? If I'm not going to be the enemy of the cross and have those four marks of what they are, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, he says in verse number 20 and 21, for our conversation, that word conversation actually means citizenship, for our conversation or citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for who? The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, this temporal body, that it may be fashioned like unto his, what kind of body? All right, so when we say glorified body, that's that glorious body that we're going to receive one day, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Hey, you know what's going to keep you from being an enemy of the cross? Remember where your citizenship is. We're not of this world. This world's not our home. We're citizens of heaven. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You know what's going to keep you from being an enemy, an enemy of the cross? Realize that you're supposed to be looking for the Savior, that he's coming back. Keeping your mind on he could come back right now. Well, you know what's going to keep you from being an enemy of the cross is to remember that all the temptations that you're dealing with with your vile body is for just a short time because we're going to get a glorified body. Amen. And when he returns, we're going to have that glorified body and never have another tear, a never sorrow, a never, another never temptation, a never, a no other problems. Yes, we're going through that now, but this is temporal. That's right. Hey, the person who decides that they're going to go live for the world, what did the Bible say about using the illustration of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11? In Hebrews 11, I think it's verse number 25, he says, um, help me out here, when, uh, as far as the world, that's the last phrase. He says, to enjoy the pleasures 
for a season. You know, I think sometimes we get, we're, we get so temporal about what we want to enjoy now that we forget this is only for a short time. We're going to be in heaven forever. Our citizenship, that's where it's it. The Lord's coming back. And listen, the, the temptation I'm dealing with now, I can deal with those temptations now. Why? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God says, hey, listen, you can handle those temptations because it thanks be to God which, which giveth us the victory that Jesus, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, gives us that victory over the sins and problems that we have in our life. Otherwise, guess what? We could be that same person that's walking, that's many. We could be that same person that Paul was weeping over. We could be that same person that he warned against often. Oh, hey, listen, they became the enemies of the cross of Christ. Just I know it's hard to understand. How does a person go from being a, a bus worker and a teacher in, in the children's services to owning their own winery? I want to tell you how that happens. It's real simple. They forgot where their citizenship was. I'm going to tell you what, what, how that can happen. They forgot who's, who they should be looking as far as coming back for them. That's Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you how that happened. They yielded to the temporal temptations, not thinking about one day they're going to glorify glorified body. They're going to deal with those temptations. And I want to tell you something. We could go on and on and on of people who became enemies of the cross of Christ. And we look at their lives now and think, what in the world are they thinking? You are capable of doing anything a lost person does because light and darkness has to do with salvation. But light and darkness, a person who's, who gets saved can be saved so as by fire and can still do everything that a lost person can do. Why? Because you still have your flesh. Those temptations that we have in our life. We've got to stay close to God. We've got to stay right with God. We've got to continually anticipate his return Amen. because all of us could be that person who's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Every, every one of us could be that enemy. We need to strive not to be it. So Paul, when he comes to the, to the church of Philippi, he says, listen, there are some, they're still there. They're not walking the right walk. There's me and there's others in your church that are walking the right walk. You need to mark them. You need to follow them for an example. But there are others, they're not walking quite right. In fact, they're, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. We need to strive not to be that person who's not walking right. And we're not comparing ourselves with each other tonight. What we're doing is we're looking at what Paul said to the church of Philippi. He says, listen, God gave you the pastor's office for you to be able to follow his example, but he's not the only example. There's other people in the church that are living a right life, trying to serve God. They've got, they have their issues and problems that they have to deal with because of humanity, but they're trying to live for God. Mark those people. He says, there's other people that are there at the church. They're not walking the right kind of walk. Don't follow that. Don't get caught up in that. I tell you, weeping. Have a concern, a natural concern for the person who's backsliding to love them and pray for them. Amen. I came across something on one of my files today about a church per person who was a church member of our church 20 years ago. 20 years ago, this particular person had got out of sorts with God. And to be honest with you, uh, <laughs> I it was a page long, basically journaling, talking to that person after he got out of church. The person's statement was, I just can't live that life anymore. The person's statement, and this was journaled after meeting with this person, I, that, that per, this particular person says, you know, I just don't know if I believe that anymore. In those same statements, there were other statements that were journaled, or was journaled, should say. One of the men of the church that was with me on that meeting. And he said, you know, from the, I, I've been drinking. Um, I haven't been reading my Bible. 
Now, this is the person who is going down that path away from the Lord, and by their own admission, they're saying, I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing as a Christian. I'm talking about a person who was a soul winner in this church, a person who was involved in bus ministry and church, children's churches and a host of other things, and then they, they, they get out and they're man alive, what, what in the world, what, what happened? I want to tell you what happened. When you start to backslide, you become the enemy of the cross of Christ. You don't see what you're doing. You make statements like, well, what's wrong with drinking alcohol? When there was a time, you knew what was wrong with drinking alcohol. You become an enemy of the cross of Christ. You've got to make sure you stay right with God. Stay right with God. I was talking to a person this week, and I don't do this very often. Um, I was talking to a person this week, and I just made a phone call. I said, listen, I want to tell you something. I said, nobody else is going to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but what you're doing is wrong. And I don't need you to tell me what you're going to do. I don't need you to explain to me. I don't need you to apologize to me. I'm just telling you that what you're doing is wrong. They made excuses for what they're doing. But I don't have to answer for that person. Every individual has to answer for themselves on whether or not you're living the right life for the Christian life. I'm just telling you, you could be that enemy of the cross of Christ. You don't want to end up that direction. Keep your focus on heaven. That's where your citizenship is. Keep your focus on the Lord coming back again. Your time is short. And keep your focus on, okay, I'm going to deal with temptations now, but I'm going to get a glorified body. I don't have to put up with this any longer. Amen. Until then, I want to make sure that I'm being the example that God wants us to be. Remember what he told Timothy? Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and what you say, in conversation the way you behave, in charity the way you love, in spirit the way you pray. In faith, the way you read the word of God or, or trust God. In impurity, the way you conduct yourself. Can I just tell you, Paul was writing that to Timothy, and I want to tell you, all of us should be that. That, God, that somebody could pour their life into yours and, and still be a good Christian. Why? Because you're following Christ. Amen. That's what you want. That you want to make sure that you're the believer that's following Christ, that others could follow you as you follow him. Would you buy and close your eyes tonight?